couple of weeks ago in this series that we've been in, uh, the series on Genesis, Tina Estes asked me a question about um, my proposal that, that sin is a disordering of life. And um, she asked the question, so why is there, um, effectively, why is there a sacrifice? Why would there be a need for Jesus if the idea is just we're, we've disordered the thing and we just need to reorder it? And so today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through an understanding of this as we prepare for Christmas, which is what I told you guys last week, we would be uh, taking a slight deviation. Uh, and and what, I'm, what I'm aiming at doing today is kind of painting the picture, the bigger picture, of how everything we've talked about in the Genesis series so far gets answered by King Jesus. And when you see how he answers it, when you see how he he reorders everything. It's amazing. So I've titled the message today, uh, Reordering Christmas, Working All Things for Good, because that is precisely what Jesus has done in all things. So you guys know that in the beginning of the Genesis series, which was months and months and months ago, uh, we started by talking about disorder and man, right? Disorder or order and man that God created, my apologies, uh, order and man that God created the cosmos. He created everything that we see and everything that we experience, created it with order in mind. He had a specific order. And that order is a beautiful thing. That order goes really deep too. If we understand the text of scripture, we start to see things like temple construction in the creation narrative in Eden and and in the garden and in the rest of the world. And we we start to see uh, temple construction in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil being placed in the center of the garden. And we have this reflection in in some capacity of the Ark of the Covenant. And and I, I love this idea that from the Ark of the Covenant, the, the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, we refer to this as the, the Bible refers to this as the mercy seat. And it's fascinating that within the box, you have the laws and the commands of God. You have the Ten Commandments, you have the statutes. And then, and then on top of that, it's just fascinating that it is governed by mercy, right? It is governed by mercy. I think we need to remember that when it comes to law keeping, when it comes to honoring God, when it comes to walking after him, that in all things, everything he says to do and not to do is still governed by mercy. God could have seen a people who disorder the whole system, Adam and Eve, just crushed it all and started over. But when we look at the garden and we look how he approaches Adam and Eve, we see an immense level of mercy as he calls to them and says, what's going on, right? He's asking questions that we talked about. So God creates the cosmos in order. He creates uh, everything that we see. We get into debates on, on literal versus figurative. We get into debates on whether or not the Bible is trying to communicate some sort of scientific principle or whether the Bible is simply communicating a beautiful spiritual principle. Nonetheless, we can boil it down to this. God is a God of order. Amen? God is a God of order. But what happens in the story? What happens in the story? Disorder. Disorder. Just like Ryan Syvertson's child. Anyway, <laughs> caught, no. <laughs> anyway, so, so disorder is what ensues inside of, our, uh, inside of the garden. And what, what happens at the core of this disorder is it needs to be understood well. And so I've spent the last five or six weeks trying to unpack that in an important and 
meaningful way. And that is that disorder in the garden was not Adam and Eve eating of a fruit that they shouldn't have eaten from, right? It starts with the, it's the background of what that fruit represents. It's the background of what taking the fruit is all about, okay? What the Bible clearly says, explicitly tells us, is that Adam and Eve's great sin is that they want to be like God. They want to be God effectively. So so what happens is in this ordered process, in this beautiful machine that God has made, God himself is an indispensable part. Do you know that? right in him we live and move and have our being right like we don't we don't exist apart from him but when we start to think we do we effectively say off with you God and I paralleled this idea to the prodigal son and how the older how the younger son actually just wants to be apart from his dad right he's forget it I'll do it my own way and this is the disordering that seems to occur in Genesis The, the Bible expressly states it that that's what our aim was When we keep trying to take over, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, nothing about that tree is bad, by the way. The tree is never expressly stated to be bad. Do you know that? It's actually a wonderful tree because knowledge of good and evil is wisdom. And the issue is, how does God give us wisdom? When will God give us wisdom? Or will we take it for ourselves, right? So we have a God who creates the world and the cosmos and everything in it in a great order. And then we have man who disorders it. But man's disordering is an important element because what we disordered was not just that we committed to thou shalt not. What we disordered was we don't need you, God. Okay? So we don't need you, God, and we can do this all by ourselves. I also said in the, in the disorder in man part of this series that Adam is a lifelong learner. I, I stressed the idea that Adam and Eve were built for uh, resistance training, right? Uh, Adam starts off being told he needs to go and name the animals. Do you guys remember what I shared with you that that was? The idea here is that Adam is actually uh, observing the purpose of an animal and he's declaring that purpose into the world, okay? Adam is not making their purpose. Adam is also not naming the animals like this cow's name's Bill, right? I told you guys that, right? What he's doing is saying this is for this purpose. And Adam effectively becomes the first scientist because what Adam is doing is he he is observing the world and he states what it does. In Adam's process, he learns. And what he learns, which God already knows, because depending on your view of this, my view is that God is omniscient. He knows all things. And so God knows what he creates things for. Adam's the one who needs to learn it. So he looks and surveys all of the creation, and he can't find a helper that's suitable for him. And God wants him to discover this. God wants him to. Until this point, Adam is incomplete, okay? So Adam is looking, and he's like, there's nothing for me. And so the Bible says, no suitable helper is found, so he creates Eve for him. And Adam and Eve are both going to be learners from this point. They're going to be learners. And that is, at the essence of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what we needed it for and why we needed to trust God for it. Because he will give us the knowledge of good and evil. Unless we decide we don't need him and we'll just kind of do it all on our own, right? 
I love the fact that the tree, and I'm just kind of throwing out a bunch of stuff so that we can get to this reordering of Christmas. Um, the tree is so amazingly good in the center of the garden that its fruit looks beautiful, it looks edible and very good, right? And it's good for wisdom and knowledge. There's something appealing to Adam and Eve in this tree. Do you know that right there they are being trained through resistance? Right there they're being trained. That looks good, but God said no. That looks good, but God said no. They have to fight this off. They have to say, I'm choosing to say no to this. This is them growing with maturity. This is true of all of us. It was true in the beginning. It will always be true as we move forward. The problem with disorder, though, again, is that what we're doing is we're effectively turning from God and saying we don't need him and we can do it all on our own. What Jesus teaches us in all of this is not just that he dies for our sins and, yea, we're washed clean. It's not just that. Jesus is necessary because he literally comes and does what we did not do. Not what we cannot do, what we did not do, okay? We never did it right. We didn't trust God. And we still don't trust God, quite honestly. And so Jesus comes and he makes it right. And through Jesus, we are righteous. Nothing about you is righteous. Did you know that? No one is righteous, no, not one. But in King Jesus, y'all are righteous. How's that for confusing, right? None of you are righteous, and yet you're all righteous, but you're righteous because of Jesus. The reason why in this disordering being sin and reordering needing Jesus is that Jesus is the one who does everything right. He sets it all to right, okay? Now, we're going to talk in the next leg of the series about all kinds of God setting up the people and and the story of Joseph, and all these beautiful things. But I'm going to skip all the way to the end, and we're just going to talk about Jesus for a little bit today, because this is really important. When Jesus comes, uh, clearly on December 25th, 2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> I'm trying to make you laugh, but you're all looking at me like, I don't even like you right now. Okay, so when Jesus came, he did not come, we, we love to say this, we say Jesus came, Christmas is important, but Christmas is important because of what it points to, which is Easter, right? Jesus came and Christmas is important because Jesus' life is also as important as his death. Do you know this? Jesus' incarnate life is as important as his death because what Jesus does as he walks through this life is he replaces Adam. And he becomes, I know this is going to be controversial to some, he becomes a learner. You're going, he's God, Nathan. No, he's a learner. This is why the scripture says that he grew in wisdom and understanding. Why does Jesus need to grow in these things, right? So he grows in wisdom and understanding. And every step of the way, what does Jesus do? He trusts God. Every step of the way, he does what his father says, thy will be done, at every turn, no matter what is there. Even when the devil tries to tempt him with God's own word, what does he do? He says, nope, actually, God said this. And he keeps coming back to this point. Jesus' life is vitally important because he shows us what a reordering looks like. 
If you want to truly know what the culmination of all people's reordering is, what your life should look like when it is properly reordered, it is a person who's willing to lay down their life for everyone around you. And until we reach that, we're not fully reordered. Because we saw it modeled for us. He literally lived in full obedience to God, and he died in full obedience to God, and he has risen again to sit at the right hand. And then the call is for us. That's what happens for us, right? We're to be restored. And when we're restored, what's beautiful is it puts us in this place of being the long-awaited children of God, the long-awaited children of God. Because the entire world, it turns out, is waiting for us to show the heck up. Did you know that? It's, the entire world is not waiting for us to do another church service on Sunday. The entire world thinks this is boring, and half of you do too. <laughs> right? The world is not waiting for that. The world is not waiting for us to produce a new Christian song. That'd be great. The world is not waiting for another sermon, I promise you. But what the world is waiting for is for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed because when we're revealed, when we truly are a reordered set, the world becomes transformed. The nations become healed. Life changes and transforms, right? And guess what, guys? This all started because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. This all started and this hope occurs because we celebrate Christmas, but how far have we disordered Christmas to the point we don't even know what we're doing anymore, right? Now, contrary to popular belief, Christmas is not a pagan holiday. Christmas is not the replacement for a pagan holiday. And if you ever want to get into a deep tussle, please jump in with me. That would be a lot of fun, right? From things like the placement of a Christmas tree all the way to the Dutch businessmen who dressed up in red suits, which is where we get the Santa Claus concept from, that were, by the way, celebrating Jesus in their day, we don't have a pagan holiday. This is not a replacement for some winter solstice. The tree is not some sort of ancient heresy or anything like this. It's not that. I have evidence and scholarship to back it up till the cows come home. But I figured I might not want to bore you again today with all of that, right? The, let's go even further. You know, you, you ever heard of the Yule log? The Yule log, right? Yeah. So that Yule is, is there's a character, there's a, there's a pagan origin in Yule, right? That wasn't even what uh, the Yule log was representing in Christmas. It was simply something that kept people warm and it was done culturally. There is nothing, I swear to you, there is nothing about Christmas that's actually pagan, right? But if we continue to accept all the criticism about Christmas being pagan, and I did for quite some time, if you do, all of a sudden you just make all of Christmas miserable. How many of you know that? How many of you have made Christmas miserable at times past? I made it. I, I made it suck for the longest time. I was like, I got four daughters, and they're going to learn this the right way. And I was the one that was wrong. So anyway, so it was really fun, right? But when we talk about reordering Christmas, we do need to reorder it in the idea of what it truly is, which is what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to bring us presents. 
although he gives us the greatest present, salvation, and eternal life, and a chance to turn this whole ship around, right? He gives us many things, but he didn't come to do all these things. We do these things in a celebration of him. We talked about this last year in the Advent series. But we do this in celebration of him, but sadly, we have so disordered it that we forgot we're doing it in celebration of him. We just do it in celebration. And we just get all excited. And it's wonderful. It comes and it goes. And then we're depressed and waiting for the next year to roll around. When we understand what it is, it will change who we are. Okay? So let's talk about what Jesus actually is reordering in all of us. We'll start in Psalm 8, 1 through 4. I want to I point out both the human reality of this in David's time, but also the messianic beauty of it uh, that is represented now. Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is this describing? A God of order, right? The God who set all this stuff in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I love that question. What the heck are we, Lord? Like, this is a joke. We shouldn't be anything. David at least understood that part of reality, right? So David goes on, and he says, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Okay? This is true of you and I. Okay? Made a little lower, a little lower crowned with glory and honor. What a beautiful thing. And then look at this. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You remember all this in Genesis? I do love the fact that he says here, you made them rulers. I'm always going to pick at this because I can't stand stupid theology, right? I'm going to constantly come back and push back and push back and push back. But God made them, that's man and woman, that's mankind, and we are called to rule. Not just men. It doesn't, that doesn't work, right? Did you love that, Dylan? Yes, that's as, that's as ape-like as I get, right? Okay, so, the, so we are called to rule over the works of God's, that God has made. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you read the ESV or the, NI, uh, or the NASB or some other translations, you're going to see that what they do in their translations is they tilt this towards the Messianic, which is also true, right? So it's not a problem. Just understand that it's a both and. In that, it would read something like this. You have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Who is the him? Jesus, right? Crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to rule over the works of your hands. This is the important contrast. What did he make us for to begin with? To rule over the works of his hands. What did we do? Screwed it up. What did he send to fix it? King Jesus, who does it and never screws up. He never makes a mistake. He rules rightly. He rules well. And he shows us the model of what it means from disorder to reorder the system. To reorder and work after him. 
okay? So he rules over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild and birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Christmas starts the idea of our Messiah reordering things. And it starts the idea of modeling for us what a reordered life looks like. God is not done with us ruling over his world. He's not done with it. He wants you to do it. He just wants you to do it his way. Amen? He wants you to do it, but he wants you to do it his way. So then we move to Romans. And this is just fascinating because this is what's going to happen with all of you and me. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, who is Paul talking to right now? Hmm? I can't hear you. Stop whispering to your wife, your husband. Huh? Romans, right? Romans, good. And what comprises this group of Romans? Or what? Yes, they're Christians, right? They're Christians, okay? Okay. So the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. By the way, that is an important statement to make because it contrasts the rest of the world. There's no point in saying we're God's children. Oh, by the way, well, everybody is, so there's a moot point. No, you are not adopted into this kingdom until you return. Okay? There is no point. Even the prodigal son issue is this way. The prodigal son was lost and dead. You know what constitutes a son? Alive and found. Okay? This is, these are very important things. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Whoa, that's a big deal, right? heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that one who reordered everything. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, can we erase that line there? Because we don't like this suffering issue. Why do we need to share in his suffering? Because we're all a part of resistance training. <laughs> we are suffering like him because following God as opposed to doing it your own way is hard. Right? So you are going to suffer in this. You are going to walk against the grain in this, or uphill, or against the wind, whatever metaphor you want. Right? So we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But what is the glory revealed in us? He goes on, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We walking in an ordered fashion after Jesus is what creation is longing for. The whole world is waiting for us to show that up. The whole world is waiting for us to do the things Jesus did. The whole world is waiting for us to live our life by faith and by actions. The whole world is waiting. Right? And so they're longing for this because that is the marker of children of God. You're going to look like your father. You're going to walk in his order. Amen? You guys see how this works. This is exactly what Adam did not do. But this is what Jesus does and this is what we're called to. So Paul goes on in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to frustration. How many of you remember what we said last week? Who got cursed in the fall? The serpent and the ground. Man is not cursed. 
It never says it. Read your Bible, please. Never says it. What is cursed is the ground and therefore subject to frustration. Could you imagine this? You screwed it all up and God's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really hard in your house. You screwed up. I'm going to make it really hard in your house to get anything done as a consequence of this. The vacuum never works. Nobody wants to listen to what you say, right? Wait a minute. That is life, right? <laughs> right? So this is resistance training, though, guys. It's shaping us. It's molding us. Every piece of it's doing this, right? For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. The trees weren't like, curse us. This sounds good, right? But by the will of the one who subjected it, who did God curse? The ground, right? He cursed this creation in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Who sets it free? The very people who messed it up, right? But how? Through King Jesus, because when we reorder Christmas, we understand that's what he came for. And when we see him live it out, we now have the greatest model. Some in the church today say, I don't have good mentors. I don't have good leaders. I don't have good people to look up to. Maybe it's true, but you still have Jesus. So stop using it as an excuse not to look like him and just do it. Amen? Of course, that's always easier than the preacher makes it sound, but, or harder than, right? We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Paul's referring to himself and the people that he's writing to, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship. What are we waiting for still? Adoption to sonship. This is the now and the not yet weird thing about the kingdom. Y'all are children of God and you're waiting for your adoption. So strange, right? The redemption of our bodies, which is defined as the adoption to sonship, right? The redemption of your bodies. Because what else decays because of the curse? Our bodies, because we were faced with a death sentence, weren't we? You will die. You don't have an option. You will die. But that isn't the way it was supposed to be because we were created with a capacity for eternity. Amen? So, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. I love it. So Paul goes on. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Thanks a lot, Paul. Who hopes for what they already have? Well, nobody does, or you have it. There's no longing, right? You understand it's a simple thing. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, which is the full redemption of our bodies, which is the writing of the world, all of these things. Are we waiting patiently? I don't know. I think we've abandoned it, and we just celebrate Christmas by opening presents. I think we've disordered Christmas again. Not that those things aren't awesome. Do it. Have fun. Just remember what your call is. Remember what you're made for, right? We do not know what we ought to pray for. And this is just for all of my charismatic uh, friends. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
Stop groaning and acting like the Spirit's doing something for you. It says the Spirit groans, not you. Stop it, right? And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here's what I love. I feel hopeless in this journey sometimes. Can you agree with me? I feel hopeless in this journey sometimes. There are days where I'm like, God, I could reorder everything in my life and it ain't going to change a thing. Because there's days when I reorder things and my daughters still go, right? They still don't listen to me. I'm going, what, what gives here, Lord? Or we try to reorder everything and the world around us continues to fall into chaos, right? We walk in order and America is going further and further secular. What do we do? What do we do? Well, quite honestly, I lose hope because of that. But I have another hope. And the other hope is when I'm losing hope, there is the Spirit of God who's interceding on my behalf. Isn't that an amazing thing? God did not say, hey, guess what? You're going to reorder things. Go for it. Chance number two. No. He said, I've reordered it. I'm inviting you just like I did in the creation account. I'm inviting you to reorder it with me. But now I've given you my spirit. And you can walk with me. And he will intercede on your behalf. He knows my will. He can do all those things. That is tremendous hope for me. So when I lose hope in my physical action, what do I rejoice in? Christ and me, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit, right? What he is doing inside of me. So finally, Paul says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good, for those of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. By the way, God, this is, guys, this is not just a random good. Whatever you deem is good, God's going to work it for your good. The whole concept here is the hopeful children of God recreation reordering process. God is working for the good of us. If we're doing the stuff, right? If we're not doing the stuff, we've got a deep problem. We're going to continue to remain hopeless. We're going to continue to grow in a, in a level of, uh, I would say, anxiety and depression based on the world that we live in. So what are we doing when we reorder this system? What are we doing when we reorder Christmas? We're remembering a couple of connections in this. We disordered God's creation. Jesus was necessary for coming to reorder it. And even in his reordering, he has invited us to the process. He's invited us to walk with him just like God invited us to walk in the ordering process of creation. Go into all the world and subdue it. Why does the world need subdued if it's perfect and good? Because it's, it needs ordered. And God invites us to be a part of that. God invites us in, in the reordering process. And guess what that means? That means you and I have to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means you and I have to go and to love our neighbors and love our God with everything we've got. That means that you and I need to live as right examples before a world who's lost and dying. That's what we're called to. That means that we should steward the world that God has given us well. Because he put you in charge of it right? He's made us for this purpose, church. So to reorder Christmas is not just to see Jesus for his reordering promise or his reordering work, but it's actually to see ourselves in the story. 
So as we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the incarnate coming of our king, this baby who has come to change everything, this baby who grows up in wisdom and, and understanding and does it right and shows us the model, we're actually celebrating the fact that we now have the opportunity to do things right. We're not left in hopelessness, and the world is not subjected to hopelessness forever either. Is that encouraging to you? Because if it's not encouraging to you, the order of Christmas, the, the idea of Christmas has been so disordered, this just sounds like religious gobbledygook. Fine, but this is the truth of what God has done. And so you get with your family and you celebrate and you open your presents and you should. And you should get excited and it's wonderful. But keep remembering, Jesus reordered the world for you, reordered the system for you, and you're invited to do so with him. And so to walk after God is the exact statement of what repentance is. To, to reorder things is the exact definition Sorry, of what repentance is. Repentance is turning around, amen? It's turning around. It's going the opposite direction. This is not merely mental assent. Mental assent is you feeling sorry for your stupidity. Well, that's great. Feel sorry for your stupidity. Now do something about it, please, right? Can I get an amen on some of that? Yeah, yeah, I see that. It was awesome. Noah's like, amen, <laughs> right? So this is really important, guys. We are not just, we're not just saying, Lord, sorry we screwed up. We're not the prodigal son left in the, in the wilderness or left in this far off land saying, hey dad, I wrote you a note, I'm sorry, changed my mind, you were right. No, we run back home. There's a turning around, there's a doing the stuff, right? So this is what we're called to, and this is the right way that we understand Christmas. This is the right way to reorder everything. And if you look this up, Trust me, if you just look up the word, you'll find the definition. This is true repentance. Let's turn it around. Let's reorder everything. Let's do it the way God wants us to do it. But the final piece that I want you to know is that as you celebrate Christmas, I know that this is cliche. I know that this is every pastor's statement. I know that I even echoed it before. Christmas is looking at Jesus for what he ultimately goes and does, right? He dies on a cross. But do you know that we're also called to take up our cross and follow after him? Why? Why? If I took up a cross, and Jesus took up a cross, and Jesus' only purpose for taking up the cross, which I don't believe, if Jesus' only purpose was to die for the sins of humanity, did he literally just tell me to pick up my cross and die for the sins of humanity? No. I don't die for anyone's sins. I can't save anyone. There must be something in this cross-bearing that I'm called to that was the same as Jesus. And I believe that that cross-bearing is to take back up the will of God and to do it the Father's way and not your own. It's to live your life as a sacrifice, fully before God our Father, the way his Son did, the way we were supposed to in the beginning, and the way we are absolutely called to now. So, we all get to reorder Christmas. We all get to be participants in this great story. God created a world out of order. We disordered it. Jesus has fixed it, and he's invited us to the game. He's invited us to play a part. I encourage you guys, as you are meeting with your family, as you are working through all this stuff, to ask each other real questions this Christmas season. 
Ask each other questions like, what part of the reordering process are we right now? What are we doing that contributes to this? Are we a people who love people enough to lay down our life for the one next to us? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing, are we a people who are literally taking our cross and following after Jesus? Are we those people? I want you to ask that question to your family. And I would encourage you to ask that question to your family before you jump into presents. You know why? Because those presents are wonderful, but that's not the point. That's a different order. The right order is what are we doing? How are we playing a part? How are we praising? How are we worshiping? How are we living a life that looks like the reorderer, Jesus? Amen.